Wrestling fans, and welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, an old school wrestling podcast about good conversations and great stories. I am your host, Brian R. Solomon, and this is episode 51 of Shut Up and Wrestle with my special guest, manager, wrestler, promoter, magazine editor extraordinaire, Carmine Despirito. We'll get to that. We'll get to Carmine's conversation in just a minute. Wanted to address a couple of things. First of all, I have to mention that I'm very happy and very honored with all of the positive feedback about last week's 50th episode of Shut Up and Wrestle. It appeared that a lot of you really enjoyed my conversation with Brian Last, my extra special two-hour bonus-length conversation Don't get used to that. We're going to stick with the one-hour format, at least for now. But thanks to everyone who enjoyed that. Uh, We'll have Brian back in the future. And as you guys know, we're going to keep having the great guests that we've been having. A couple things I want to mention about what I've been working on. First of all, I'm very excited to say that there are a couple of potential awards on the horizon for Blood and Fire. The Unbelievable Real-Life Story of Wrestling's Original Sheik. My book, one is a certainty, the other is a a hope. <laughs> First of all, Blood and Fire has been chosen by the Library of Michigan as one of the Michigan Notable Books of 2022. So that was a pleasant surprise. Of course, as most of you know, the Sheik, very crucial and very important to the pop culture history of uh, Michigan, particularly in the late 20th century. So that is being recognized and the book is being recognized. And I will be going out to the Lansing area in Michigan in late April when they're having the dinner, the banquet uh, to receive the award. There will also be some library tour appearances throughout Michigan that I will be making. And I will update you guys on the details of those as it gets closer. I also want to say that uh, the The Wrestling Observer Award voting period is now open for all subscribers to the Wrestling Observer newsletter in the category of best book, of course, best book of 2022. Just reminding you that Blood and Fire is eligible. It did come out in 2022. Not asking you to vote for it, just asking you to consider to give it a thought if you enjoyed the book, if you read the book, if you think it's worthy of that prestigious award, I would be honored, Wrestling Observer Newsletter subscribers, if you would cast your vote for best book of 2022 for Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic. Also, the new 2022 awards issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated is now available in digital form. The the print form will be available soon, not quite yet, but in digital form, you can order it at pwi-online.com. I know everybody loves the PWI 500 issue and then also the awards issue where the readers of PWI, and this is a shoot, 
The readers of PWI vote for their choices, and you will find it in the new issue, the 2022 awards issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So go check it out when you get the chance. Right now, I'd like to go to this very interesting and colorful conversation that I had with Carmine Despirito. For those of you that may know Carmine, this will come as no surprise to you that this is a conversation unlike any other that's been heard on this show. I probably wouldn't need to tell you that we can throw language restrictions out the window for this episode of Shut Up and Wrestle, although that kind of was the case with the Brian Last 50th episode last week anyway. So just be prepared. Send the kids out of the room. Avert your virgin ears if you are easily offended. But it is a hilarious conversation. We covered so many topics. If you love the history of wrestling magazines, we talked about Carmine's work at Wrestling Eye, of course, one of the seminal wrestling magazines. We talked about the fabulous Moolah, who Carmine had a very special friendship with, and so Carmine addresses uh, many of the controversial charges and, and accusations that have been levied at Moolah over the years, particularly since her passing. I think you'll find that a very engaging part of the conversation. Also, a little disclaimer, this interview was done several weeks ago, and we talk about some of the creative changes in WWE and our hopefulness that things are getting better under the creative regime of Paul Triple H Levesque. That being said, uh, all that we talked about was prior to Vince McMahon forcing himself back upon the company as if it were a corporate intern. So what we had to say here may be slightly out of date. Who knows if Vince winds up taking creative over again and all that sort of thing. So this harkens back to a much more hopeful halcyon time, aka about three weeks ago. So listener discretion is advised. Now, without further ado, I will take you to my conversation with Carmine Despirito. Okay, my guest this week on Shut Up and Wrestle is somebody else that I'm really privileged and really glad that I had the chance to meet and get to know through the Cauliflower Alley Club the past couple of years that I've been going. Um, so I'm glad that he's here to be able to talk this week. Um, he's done, I, I don't even know where to begin, magazine editor, which of course is a role very close to my heart, uh, wrestling manager, wrestling promoter, first and foremost, wrestling fan. Uh, involved with the CAC over the years. Um, also, as a manager, I mean, some of the people, I have a list here that he has managed. We're talking about Dr. D, David Schultz, Adam Pierce, Abdullah the Butcher, Rick Martell, Hercules, Kamala. I mean, it goes on and on, not to mention the fact, and I did a little homework here, he's been in the ring a few times himself. And the people that, uh -oh. he, the people that he has shared a ring with thanks to Mid-American Wrestling, includes the likes of Balls Mahoney, CM Punk, Colt Cabana, Sherry Martell, Public Enemy, and Mae Young. I am talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Carmine Despirito. Thanks for coming on the show, Carmine. <laughs> oh, it's an absolute pleasure. My God, what a great introduction. Thank you very much. You should be my press agent. If I ever need one, I'll let you know. I love doing those kind of introductions. I always tell people I ripped it off of Gilbert Gottfried's podcast because that's how they used to do it on there. These oh, he was brilliant. I know that, and and his podcast was amazing. But but thanks for doing this. This is really just a, a pleasure, and um, I I love getting. First of all, I I love talking to 
people that were involved in the wrestling magazine business at the time that you were involved in it, because um, that's that's kind of a a, a special topic for me. I've, I've been wanting to even do a book about it for years now about wrestling magazines. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is that, um, and I'm very proud to say, um, well, you know, let, let me give you a history first. Sure. Of, of wrestling eye magazine and how I became involved and so on. Yeah. And um, before you continue, senior, before you continue, yeah. I just, I just want to say, I know you said it, but I want to make it clear for people that are listening the, for those that remember. And I mean, if you were a wrestling magazine reader and collector in the eighties, you know, wrestling eye magazine. I mean, I loved that magazine as a kid, not to make you feel old, but I mean, I loved that magazine. So, so please continue. How did you get involved with wrestling eye? Oh, thank you for saying that you love this so much. I mean, you know, we caught a lot of heat, you know, um, from different people. If you'd like to, you know, kind of uh, pull back the curtain a little bit, just make it more real. I never right. I never pu- published anything that I thought would hurt anybody from making money or to get them in trouble with the law or anything like that <laughs> or to disrespect the business. That's something that I never did, you know. Um, but um, anyway, so... I was a senior in high school. I was a photographer. Um, you know, I, I took three photography classes a day in high school. I was pretty serious about it. Wow. And uh, I used to go to the matches and shoot photos, you know, and um, didn't even have a press pass or anything like that. Wasn't affiliated with any magazine. I, I love going to the Dunn Sports Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And I, I befriended the promoter. His name was Jonathan Peter Gold who uh, later on, I mean, oh, he became one of my greatest friends and we promoted shows together and uh, we booked personal appearances for, for wrestlers for, boy, up to his passing a couple years ago. I mean, literally almost 30 years that we did business together. But anyway, Jonathan um, was just a fabulous promoter, a real promoter, a guy that got into, into the ditches and promoted and you know, he was the type of guy, he put up a poster on a, on a pumpkin out in the country. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was, yeah, he was something else. And we could talk about him more, but anyway, so it was promoted by Jonathan Gold. And um, I would go there and take photos, not ringside or anything, just buying a ticket, just like anybody else. And I took a photo of Roddy Piper. And um, just Wrestling Night Magazine was my favorite magazine. It was my favorite photo I ever took. I said, you know, I got to send this somewhere. I got to see if somebody will run it. And, and I and I just thought to myself, eh, the Politano and after are too big. You know what I mean? Like, they're not going to. They got their own photographers, you know. I mean, I didn't know anything about that there were freelance photographers in wrestling or anything. I just took a wild, wild gamble, and I sent the photo uh, to Wrestling Eye Magazine. And the uh, editor-in-chief at the time, his name was Mike Ballou. And um, Mike liked me, and well, the, the photo got published as a pinup. Guess how much I was paid for a full color <laughs> pinup in nineteen in nineteen eighty seven? How much? You can't even guess. Come on now. Oh, you really uh, want me to guess? Bucks. Wow. <laughs> Fifteen, Fifteen bucks. bucks. Wow. Fifteen bucks. All right. Um, but then, see, I had an in. See, now I got my my in into the business. So I, I remember going to wrestling shows with him, and I started meeting people. Um, um, and that forayed into my managing and promoting and so on, but back to wrestling guy magazine. Um, 
when I first took over, okay. Oh, I'm really jumping ahead. Sorry. Oh, Michael fine. Lou, who I just mentioned, <laughs> he, he passed away in a car accident. And um, the magazine was up in the air. Nobody knew who was going to get it. Some thought Michael Hara was going to get it. Some thought Barbie Barker would get it. These are old, old wrestling uh, magazine names for you. Um, and uh, I just called the office one day. And here I am. I'm just a senior in high school here. And, um, you know, for, for God's sake, I'm getting a C in journalism. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. You, you fit right in. You right. Fit right. in. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. And I said, I'd like to throw my name in the hat, you know, for what it's worth. And uh, I remember uh, Stash Weinberg calling me. He was an old Jewish gentleman. He used to have a big cigar and the cigar would stick between his uh, a space and his two front teeth. And he said, he said to me, he said, he said, kid, you got chutzpah. I like you. I like you, kid. And he, and he gave me the job as editor of a wrestling magazine. Wow. You it know? was that easy. Holy yeah. cow. That's great. See, we, that we, was need, it. We, we need people like that in wrestling media these days. There are no more Stosh Weinbergs in, in wrestling media today. Right, right, right. Well, unfortunately, there are no wrestling magazines, so. Yeah, no. Who well, thought that it would ever disappear, you know? I know. It, I mean, you know, all that's left is Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which, which I still contribute to, and they and they started up uh, in the UK. They started up Inside the Ropes, which is kind of a takeoff on the old Power Slam magazine, but that's pretty much it. I mean, there really isn't. And, and even then, I mean, it, it's just we all remember those of us of a certain age, those days of going to the newsstand. And I mean, how, how many would you say you would see at a time, maybe like six or seven different ones at a time? Oh, even more, more even probably. more. There were over a dozen. They were over a dozen. I mean, sometimes with the different specials that Napolitano would do and after would do, you might have 14 to 16 different magazines on that stand. And I love you know, wrestling. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was going to say I loved wrestling. I, you know, the reason I said it too before was when I when I first started watching wrestling. You know, I grew up in New York City, and you know, it was all WWF all the time. And you know, I read as a kid. I, I'm a little younger than you. I, I've started at at, at the, around the time you were getting to work at Wrestling Eye. I was starting to buy wrestling magazines, and I got into really all I knew about because I was a dummy was WWF magazine. That was it. And re- at that time and wrestling, I was the first kind of independent one that wasn't a WWF publication that I picked up. And it was like, you know, opening the floodgates because I couldn't even see a lot of this stuff on TV. I didn't have cable. So like wrestling, I was my first taste in wrestling magazines of, wow, this is a whole industry. This isn't just one company. I mean, cause I was a kid. Yeah. And yeah. the way the way they treated people... it, they treated it very like you said. It was like it pulled the curtain back just a little bit, it, but it didn't expose the business to a damaging degree where it did it didn't scandalize anything. You know? No, I would never allow that to happen. I would never allow that. I just wanted people just to raise an eyebrow. I mean, God, we're competing against all these all these giants, you know, after Napolitano, I mean, all these giants, it's just a small little office on canal street. They have, you know, um, something about the magazines, the small wrestling eye in particular, um, the lead time was three months. So when right. it went to, 
right? So you would yeah. have a three month um, um, lag there in time. So it was important to try to predict what was going to be going on three months from now and, uh, and who would be hot and what was going to go on and so forth, you know, and sometimes I was on the money with it. Sometimes I wasn't, but you know, that was something that, um, a lot of times was difficult to do. Um, because the news would be dated, you know, I didn't want to have news that would be, you know, um, perceived as, Oh my God, how old is this magazine type of thing? But, um, you know, we did our best with it, you know, so, and that was something that reason why is because wrestling eye magazine was printed in China and Hong Kong, um, because the other magazines that the (laughs) publication did, they did a bunch of porno mags (laughs) and, uh, the same guys that were laying out the wrestling magazines were laying out, you know, porno magazines. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, there you go. Not not surprising at all, really. I mean, you know that that wrestling would be mixed up with with porno. Why not? I mean, the the most highbrow of publications only, right? I mean, and 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 let's be honest too. Probably a, a lot of overlap in the readership too. I would imagine. Well, <laughs> our um our 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 art design, I think, reflected that in a lot of ways because it wasn't the best, and it was uh, it was really pretty shoddy at times. And I remember getting these issues. I go, why did you, what did you guys do this for? You know, what, what is this, you know, type of thing. And like, but, uh, or why'd you choose this seat? There are a lot of decisions I didn't make. I allowed the, uh, the publisher to choose the cover photo most of the time, 90% of the time. And a lot of times I would go, well, first of all, we're putting Hogan on the cover again. <laughs> you know, like that was just, well, he sells, he sells magazines. We put somebody else on there. It doesn't sell. So what do you do? You know, right. it's all about selling magazines. So uh, something that I was really proud of was that when I was on tour in Europe um, as a wrestling manager, which we'll talk about, mm-hmm. I saw Wrestling Eye being sold in the subway on the newsstand. I couldn't believe it. And I came home and I asked and they said, well, we're the um, um, first, oh, excuse me, the number one, the number second highest selling wrestling magazine in Europe. I said, why is that? We have really good international distributorship. And why? Because of the porno books. (laughs) So it's like a package deal. The porno books are being sold there, too. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Oh, boy. That's amazing. It was it was I liked it because it it had a, a grittiness to it. It was even as a kid, I I I really quickly got tired of and this is ironic because I later went to work there, but how, how glossy and polished everything was in the WWF magazine, especially the photography. And, you know, when I went to work there, that was really something that they took pride in and I'm not going to knock them for it. When, when I talked to the photo designers and the layout people they had there, you know, and the work they would do to make everything look so perfect. I actually liked that, that, that looked rougher. It looked more real, when you have guys in the ring, they don't always look their best. You know, I mean, it's like sports photography. They don't have to look like, you know, they're posing for the picture if they're in the middle of a match, right. you know. So I, I really liked the rougher around the edges kind of approach with with wrestling magazines like Wrestling Eye. It was my preference. Well, you know, we also uh, one thing that I did is that I covered a lot of guys, indie guys, that wouldn't normally be put 
into the magazines, you know, mm-hmm. especially the guys in the Northeast, because these are the guys that I, I would see independent wrestling shows and so on. You know, um, Cheetah Kid, Ted Petty, who's one of the guys that broke me in the business. Um, I featured him a lot in our magazine because one, he, he was, of course, a friend, but I, I was a great supporter of his and I thought he was a great talent at the time, you know. So, and the guys like him and uh, DC Drake and Tom Brandy, you know, and uh, Mike Kalua and those, those guys, you know, I always made sure that those guys were always taken care of, you know, and then guys like Chaz Taylor out of Texas, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, you know, maybe there's other magazines that wouldn't run a pinup of them, but what the hell, <laughs> you know, you know, why not? Um, so, um, um, yeah, I, 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 this one thing that by design that I set out to do that I wanted to cover, um, different wrestlers that wouldn't be covered by other magazines and also speak about different topics that wouldn't be, uh, written about either and take that, um, fakeness, that contriveness of the after magazines and do something that's a bit more real, you know, the whole thing with their, you know, point counterpoint and all <laughs> the different quotes from the wrestlers. And, you know, I mean, I knew that that was just, you know, written it was contrived it's not real they didn't get real quotes from anybody and i wanted to do something different that when i did an interview i'm going to do a real interview you know the first interview i have i ever did in wrestling i magazine uh was with johnny rods and the second one who i wanted to interview was buddy rogers uh, uh, so <laughs> so um and i and i made sure that i transcribed it verbatim you know, because I don't think how many times in wrestling has that been done at that time, you know, so not much. I mean, we certainly didn't even do it. You know, certainly when I worked at WWE, we would do, you know, it was a combination. Like, I don't know if you ran into the issue of if you wanted to interview somebody and they would just sort of say, well, you know, you, you can just make it sound like me or something like that. Like we would get a lot of that. Or we would we would get the interview it was a real interview, but we would really kind of shine it up because we didn't really have journalistic well, integrity yeah. was not high on our list. You know, we would kind of take some liberties to try to I mean, I, I delicately say this, but to try to make the person sound even better, you know. Well, sometimes you have to embellish it. I mean, you yeah. have to embellish it, you know, so. I mean, it's yeah. wrestling after all, but, but, but yeah, but you're it's right. Wrestling how, after all, <laughs> how the different magazine groups, they all had their own kind of like distinctive, like, like you said, the after ones were known more for doing those kind of like gimmicked, uh, you know, they would make up their own storylines or they would do some, they would have a computer. I always like to talk about, there was always a computer that was, that was helping wrestlers win their matches and planning out strategy. But they would do, they would really lean into the worked aspect of wrestling, you know? Right. Right. And for the older fans, for the more sophisticated fan, you know, there's not, there wasn't a whole lot for them. And, and I really tried to fill that void. And, you know, I was inspired by Meltzer. I must say that, that mm. when I first, um, was given the Wrestling Observer in, in 87, and it was just being passed around the locker room. So I uh, befriended Dave, and I said, look, um, send me your newsletter every month, and I'll plug it in the magazine every month for you, you know. 
And that was a regular thing that we did for, oh, for a good many years, probably five years, maybe, maybe even longer. Um, and um, so <laughs> how a lot of people found out about The Observer was through Wrestling Eye magazine. There was nobody else. He didn't put an ad anywhere else. But at that time in 87, 88, you know, through the 80s there, um, people found out about Meltzer through old Wrestling Eye magazine. So now about you, that, because the only other way, the only other way you would know about it is if your friend was reading it in the locker room. I mean, how else would you know about it otherwise? Yeah, I mean, it was very kind of, you know, underground at that time. I mean, I I became aware of it when I was working in the business, when I was working at WWE. Well, I mean, I had heard of it. I knew about it, but I had never really read it before until I started working there. And I, <laughs> I was sort of like, oh, this is the thing that they don't want us to read. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to read this. Then I have to get a subscription to this. <laughs> I, I, I wound up being the guy that would run off all the copies of it and hand it around the office to all the people who didn't want to have their names on Dave's subscriber list. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, that that was my role. All the people in Titan Tower, you know, but and speaking of which now you are, forgive me for not knowing this, but are you from the Northeast originally? Is that where you're from? I'm from New Jersey originally. Yeah. Okay. so how now in terms of like you're breaking in now as a manager and that sort of thing uh, with a lot of that from what I'm seeing, looking like it's more in the Midwest how did that happen? You're from New Jersey and now you're working, you know, in the business in the Midwest. Well, I'll tell you, first off, well, I started in 87. When I started the magazine, I, I thought to myself, this is an easy way for me to get in the business. Look at it. Heyman did it, you know, and right. Heyman, Heyman used to take pictures just alongside me when I was a kid, you know. Right. Um, and uh, so, so and, you know, and I found out, oh, wait a minute, Jim Cornette broke in the business the same way. So I thought, you know, this is going to be good. It's all about meeting people. It's all, all about networking and so on. So I um, I befriended um, uh, Ted Petty, the Cheetah Kid. Um, uh, my God, this um, closest thing I've had to a big brother in a business. And uh, this tremendous guy. And, of course, you know, um, I would go to the matches and take photos. And then I wanted to meet... Uh, course i wanted to meet everybody but i really wanted to meet dr d and um the one reason why i wanted to meet him well i just took over wrestling eye magazine and um actually i was about to put in my first issue and i wanted to do something that would make an impact something that would get people talking so i did a deal where i interviewed dr d and of course he slaps me (laughs) okay and we we, and uh, you know we do it in um, photographic form of course in the magazine you know so but i didn't want to do still shots i didn't want to i'm not going to fake this i'm not going to go to david and say okay now if you put your hand here we could take a few shots like this oh you out of your mind you know i couldn't do that i mean my god i really get you know i'd be knocked out anyway uh anyway at least at the time, at the time, you have to understand, though, I really I, I was really in, in fear of David, nervous, you know, a nervous kid, especially going to him with this idea that I had that I, I said, David, uh, we're going to do this interview. I said, um, it's going to be a real deal thing. 
I said, and at the right time, you smack me out of the chair. I'm not going to call you fake. Just when I get you heated up, just smack me out of the chair. Now, (laughs) I set this up with a promoter in New Jersey by the name of Dennis Glam. Mm -hmm. He promoted the EWA, Eastern Wrestling Alliance, I believe it was. So Dennis arranged for the photographer to be there who shot weddings. So (laughs) in the rear of a high school gymnasium in New Jersey, uh, there's myself and David, the promoter, possibly two other people, and the photographer. There's no video or anything like that. Of course, of course not. You know, there's no video. And when he slaps me, this photographer's got to get it. I hope he gets this shot. Well, uh, he did a good job. He did. He got the shot. He got the shot the second that he that he connected with me. And, uh, you know, and um, because regardless of anything, regardless of that, there are only a few people there. It's all about kayfabing. This photographer is not in the business. I mean, we have to kayfabe. I mean, we're not, you know, definitely not going to ask Dr. D to break kayfabe. You know, I wouldn't be here today talking to you if I did. (laughs) No, that's Um, true. So, you know, so... Yeah, so that's in my uh, first issue that I did of Wrestling Eye magazine. I want to say it was April of '87. I want to say um, I we did this uh, spread of Doctor D uh, slapping me. <laughs> so there's three three reporters that he slapped: <laughs> Stossel, <laughs> the Japanese reporter, and myself. Now uh, you didn't get the kind of settlement that Stossel got, though. I'm thinking. well that's okay yeah (laughs) david was phenomenal with me david uh, took me under his wing um when i would manage him he would drive two hours out of his way to come and pick me up at my house at my parents house to take me to the shows with him um david took good care of me um i can't say enough about him uh he looked out for me he made sure I got paid when promoters would call and say, uh, well, we got this manager for you. And he say, I only got one manager and that's Carmine. Do you want to book Carmine? <laughs> um, he, he really, uh, he really did. And, um, oh, I learned so much about the business and, you know, the attitude that he ingrained in me, you know, which I carry to this day, you know, about the business, you know, came from him. And then additionally, um, of course, Ted Petty, um, Teddy taught me how to bump Teddy, um, taught me psychology. Well, I learned psychology from Dr. D as well. And, um, uh, Johnny Rods, um, God, you know, like he was just one of my all time favorites, my father's favorite wrestler growing up. And, um, you know, Johnny just, uh, you know, welcomed me with open arms in the Gleason's gym. And I would do a few training sessions with him. I was there the first day that Sweet Williams, that Bill DeMott, uh, started training, actually. Wow. And uh, Tommy Dreamer was just a kid. And um, so, and then also a gentleman by the name of Bobby Bold Eagle, who also trained at Gleason's gym. Um, he, um, uh, well, trained Ted Petty a bit. Uh, Teddy was originally trained by Buddy Rogers. 
But uh, he was also trained uh, later on, learned a lot of different tricks and so on. A lot of his high flying, uh, Teddy learned from Bobby Bold Eagle, um, who worked in England, um, who wrestled uh, a lot of the greats in England. Um, they're all they're on uh, YouTube. You can look them up. Um, and uh, had a great success being an overseas wrestler, so to speak. He'd go on tours of Africa. And, and places like that, uh, Guatemala. Uh, he also wrestled as the Black Tiger. He was close with uh, Mark Rollerball Rocco as well. Um, so he was in New York. You know, he could offer a different um, type of knowledge. You know, um, right. in fact, Mick Foley. Mick Foley. He Mick Foley learned the uh, his um, oh, not the plancha. When he does the roll off the apron, right? Do you mean like the elbow drop off the? I said the outside from the from the apron. That that whole deal. Okay, uh, apron to the outside where he yeah. does like the flip. He right. does a roll okay. on him. I know what you mean. Yeah. What's that called? That I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I. I don't. I guess it would be. I never really knew what it was called. To be honest with you. Maybe w- when people hear this, they'll 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 let us know. But I don't know. Oh, they're just going to tear us a new one. Yeah. You know that? Wait a minute. You're saying, are you telling me, are you telling me that people on Twitter are not going to be constructive and helpful in their criticism? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bobby taught Mick that move. Um, He he wanted to learn some Lucha moves and uh, Bobby um, uh, taught him those at at Felicia's gym. But anyway, so I was very, very fortunate um, of how I got in the business. And back then it was very difficult to get in. Today, anybody can get in. Just say you're in the business. You're in the business. But back then, it was still a closed business, and you had to find a, a back door to get in. And uh, and I did. And um, and I, I, I like I said, just um, honored that um, I had such great mentors. You know, um, that I was taught well. Um, so so I managed on the East Coast. A lot. I mean, I managed uh, Mike, um, I don't know, Bam Bam Bigelow. Uh, managed him against um, Sarge one night, actually, as a heel in New Jersey, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Uh, managed, um, let me see here, Ivan Koloff. Managed him a couple times in Jersey. Um, I used to work Gleason's gym as well. I used to do Johnny Rogers' show. Managed uh, Mondo Clean. Go on oh, to be man. Damian Demento. Yeah. And, uh, oh, and Taz. Taz. I worked with Taz there as well. Um, no, I managed uh, Wayne Bloom. I believe this is 1990. Wayne Bloom against Paul Orndorff's comeback match. His return to wrestling match in Jersey City, New Jersey. And then I did a bunch. I used to do fair shows. I used to work for Tommy Jeanette that ran Northeast championship wrestling. Um, I started off with, I had a few different gimmicks. Um, I started off as uh, Mr. Obnoxious, UB marks, <laughs> UB marks. I get it. I figured that would be fun as, a, as, a, as an editorial name as well, uh, of which I did. So I used that for a while <laughs> and, um, um, had some fun with it. The boys liked it, you know, and, um, uh, and then I, um, let's see, it went from there to me becoming the creator. Now we're now 
UB Marks is, um, okay, so the thought process behind UB Marks, which is, you know, this, this young, obnoxious guy wearing Zubaz, okay, which was very trendy at the time, mind you. True. Um, so wearing Zubaz, cowboy boots. Um, I also had you know, Freddie Blassie's jackets, shimmer cloth jackets. Actually, I had two of them, a blue one, which I still have. How'd and you a get purple those? One. Uh, a friend of mine that knew Freddie really well and um, he told him that I was managing, showed him pictures of me. And, um, you know, I took care of my friend and gave him a, a few bucks for them, of course. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. Uh, so I, uh, I was working, like I said, with the shimmer cloth jacket, the hair is, uh, I used to wear, um, I wanted to grease up my hair and I found out the product that Brett Hart used and that's, uh, called Sebastian wet. Hmm. I, used, I had long curly hair. So. And that was the, uh, that was, uh, my look. Well, 19, I want to say it's 1991. It's IWA TV taping. We're in, um, Pennsylvania. This, um, event, this is being promoted by Rob Russon. Um, you familiar with the IWA promoted by Rob Russon? Mm-hmm. It was on sports channel America. For, oh, yes. Sports okay. channel America. Yes. It was on big sunshine network. Um, well, anyway, this particular show we're doing is in pennsylvania and uh ddp well he's he's a buddy of mine you know at the time we piled around and he was kind of he was helping with the booking and so on and you know and we were buddies in fact i think we even drove to the show that day and uh i'm managing sunny beach um who does a surfer gimmick from new york rick allen used yeah. to work in florida a uh, hell of a hand hell of a worker hell of a guy Really enjoyed working with him. I, I worked with him a lot. But anyway, uh, you know, this is fun managing. So Paige goes to me, Daddy, here's the story. You're going to be the creator. Huh? The creator. The creator, Daddy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just looking at him like I have no idea. What? The creator? <laughs> yeah, Daddy. You create. The sand, the sun, the moon, and the stars, Daddy. But your greatest creation is Sandy Beach. I'm like, all right. I mean, I'm not going to say no, right? You're throwing something at me. I, all right. If this is, I don't see how this fits my look. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what you want me to do. I, you know, and I did the worst, most nervous interview for TV ever. And it just like, it was, my God, it just didn't work. So I had, I I did the TV taping as the creator. I think I managed, I think I worked with Afa that night. Um, I forgot who else. So anyway, um, and I had to think, what am I going to do with this? I got a name. They're giving me a name. I'm on TV. So I decide. I was a fan of uh, Jim Morrison, fan of the Doors. I thought to myself, hmm, maybe something along these lines, maybe something, something never done before, like a Jim Morrison kind of gimmick, you know, black leather pants, black boots, find a 
believe me, it was how, how tough it was in 91 to find a ruffled pirate shirt. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so I my gimmick, the inspiration for it was I figured the creator, Jim Morrison, hey, that kind of fits, that kind of uh, mystical kind of gimmick. Um, and then I decided, let's give it a little evil, make it a little evil. You know, as time went on, and actually as time went on, I started wearing some 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 ghoulish zombie-like fucking face paint and but anyway the gimmick just just evolved as time went on uh, when i went overseas and i i worked in europe and um i took the gimmick the creator with the makeup and all to europe in 1991 and i managed kamala against um tony atlas every night for five weeks and we did spain and austria and germany and um um uh, it was a phenomenal tour, just a, a great time. So uh, and they called me the, the mortician because those, there's no word really for creator in German other than calling me God, you know? So, right. There you go. Wow. <laughs> that, I mean, really, I, and I say this a lot with guests, but I mean, what, in what other business could you have experiences like that and spend, spend your time doing stuff like that, especially starting out, you know, as a fan, as somebody who's in the audience, you know, and now you're doing, you're doing stuff like that. I mean, that had to be um, incredible. In fact, and, I, and I'm looking at, at at some of the notes that you sent me here, as far as managing it, it also said that you managed Hercules and the ultimate warrior. How did that happen? Yeah. And that was later. That was 93. So, um, I've been on a couple previous tours with this American promoter and what he does, he sells overseas tours with American stars. You know, that's what he does. So he's, um, dealing with uh, the same, um, European promoter that brought Michael Jackson uh, to Europe. So this is like big, you know, big doings. So um, we're playing these big rooms and there's big money on the line here. So the biggest star that is that we can get uh, would be the ultimate warrior. He was released. He was available. He hasn't done anything yet. No talks of him doing anything. And actually, with, as negotiations went on, I mean, maybe I don't know what it sounds like today necessarily, but he was being paid ten thousand dollars a show for ten days, which would be a hundred grand, which is unprecedented. There hasn't been anybody up to that point. Nobody in Japan made a hundred grand in ten days, so you know the money was um, you know really good. And they had a rough time negotiating with them and so on. Um, and I'm hearing about this and I'm thinking, oh, the guy is going to be difficult or whatever. Um, but I mean, to the contrary, um, I thought that Jim was great to deal with, you know. Uh, he kept to himself, you know. Um, I managed Hercules against him every night. He was very, uh, very uh, uh, cordial and very gracious uh, after the match. After the match, for some reason, I'm not implying anything. I just think it's strange to this day. After the match, we'd have, and of course, you know, he, you know, playing the manager role, I, you know, bumped around for him and so on. And I was carried out. Her carries me back and blah, blah, blah. Of course, we always go back to the Warriors locker room to thank him for the match, you know. 
and he's always butt-ass naked. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard that. Yes. Never witnessed. You're kidding it. me. Oh, I'm, ha- I'm happy that this isn't some, some, some weird observation that I made. And he's, <laughs> and he's butt-ass naked. And, you know, not for nothing, but he's got a schlong down to his fucking knee, you know. <laughs> oh, and he's hugging you. And he's all sweaty. Like he would hug me and my shimmer cloth jacket would be, you know, I get sweat all over it. You know, it was very odd. And actually a trivia, a little bit of trivia. The warrior had a butterfly tattooed on his ass. Wow. I I did not know. There's that. your sound bite. There's your sound bite right there. I think it's the schlong down to his knee. That's going to be my, that's a first for this. Well, show. it's the main of Jesus. You know, I don't, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I, I only glanced. Uh, you know, <laughs> so you say, I, know, I, know. <laughs> I but I'm, <laughs> but Marona, me, you know, he wasn't messing around. I'll tell you that. <laughs> wow. I don't even know how to but segue you know, out yeah. of that. Holy cow. <laughs> so he was, I'll tell you something. No wonder Vince liked the him tour, so that, much. Oh, go on. <laughs> so, um, we're on, the, <laughs> we're on the European tour. Hercules, uh, of course, um, Greg Valentine, Jake, the snake warlord, uh, butch Reed. Um, Oh, who else was there? Who else worked up top? I'm trying to think of all the guys that were there up top, but anyway, so we're, we're <laughs> on the bus and, um, warrior is, <laughs> he's not having this, you know, we're traveling from town to town on just a regular type of uh, touring bus, tourist type of bus, you know, nothing fancy, you know, just like they do in Japan, just like they do anywhere else, you know, and we probably got maybe a, I don't know, three hour, four hour ride, you know, you just tell that he was just, just frustrated, you know, and he, he didn't care for being on this bus, you know, with the boys, this, this wasn't his thing, you know? So, he ends up flying from town to town. Well, when he ends up flying from town to town, of course, Jake, who's the second star on the show, he says, well, I got to fly too. Then, and then after that, Butch Reed follows suit. He wants to fly. And then the warlord, he wants to fly. But Hercules stayed behind on the bus with us. And, you know, and hung out with me a lot. And he said, why would I want to get to the town early? <laughs> he said, would I like to get to the town early and work out with Warrior or stay here on the bus and smoke hash with you? <laughs> so there you go. So one time That's we had something. a trip. We were going, we were going from, uh, oh, I can't remember the town's name now. But anyway, it's in the uh, lower... East corner, uh, no, lower west corner of Germany. And we got to go to Berlin. It's like 12 hours. Just brutal, you know. Yeah. It's a brutal run here. Well, we're sitting in the hotel bar. And here's Jake, uh, Jake the Snake. He's about to get on his plane. Uh, no, excuse me. He's, he's staying in his hotel. He's flying out the following morning. We're about to get on the bus. And we're sitting in the, in the bar. And Jake just walks up to the bar tender and he said, how much is a bottle of Jack Daniels? And bartender says, sir, we don't sell it. We do not sell it. 
by the bottle. It's only sold by the shot. And so, well, how much is it? And whatever it was, it was like $300 for this bottle of Jack Daniels. Well, Jake takes the bottle. He turns to me and he said, this is for the boys on the bus. One of the greatest things I've ever seen anybody do, or wow. I mean, Jake the Snake for that matter. You know. That's great. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he was something else. There's some good stories about Jake on the road. It's interesting when you see don't, the... don't know how, how prolific you want to get. <laughs> well, they, they have my podcast rated clean. I don't know how much longer that's gonna last. Oh, I, I better I, not I better not continue with Jake the Snake then. Oh, uh, we have we have crossed the Rubicon, so you know it happens. But uh <laughs> but actually, no, I, I'd love to, but I wanted to talk about something else really quick, is and it's related to this because you're talking about some of these you know, guys that you trained with and worked with, and you mentioned Johnny Rods and, and, um, you know, the interesting thing to me is that you know, he's somebody that to me also, I, I will always watch any match that he's in. And, and it's one of those things where at least in the New York area, I know in California, he got a bigger push and that kind of thing, but in the New York area, he really Rook. yeah, right. But in the New York area, he was a journeyman. He, he was one of those guys where, he he really didn't win, but the matches were always competitive. He never got squashed. He always seemed like he could win. And now and then he would win over somebody that was really kind of at the very bottom of the card. He would win. But but the thing that I think is lost, because, you know, these matches now, they pop up on the Peacock and the WWE Network. They actually posted a bunch of uh, early eighties, you know, episodes of, of championship wrestling, WWF championship wrestling. I've seen them. Yeah. It, it covers the whole Bruno Larry angle. They just posted them. And it reminds me every Love time it. I see that, right. It's like every one of these guys, even the so-called journeyman, the guy, the guys that are not, you know, they're not drawing the house, whatever, but they put on a great match that you could get into that you can get engaged in. It's not a bunch of high spots. Everything makes sense. You can really, especially now watching it as an older person, you could see the discipline involved in telling the story in the ring and making all the psychology work. <clears throat> Everything is so careful and so thought out. And I know, based on what I know about your opinions on the old versus the new wrestling, that that's, you don't, you just don't see that the way you used to see it. Now there's, there's plenty of exciting stuff in wrestling today and I still watch it and follow it, but you don't see that kind of wrestling anymore. Very, very rarely. Well, you know, you know, the Johnny rods wrestled at Madison square garden 80 times. I believe and it. there's not one time. There's not one time that he did not get a reaction when he came out. The same can be said of SD Jones. Regardless, they cheered SD every single time he came to the ring. It was a different mentality back then. You know, um, I'm really happy that you brought up Johnny Rods. Um, do you know that um, Johnny was the original choice to play the heel in the movie The Wrestler? No, I didn't. You mean the uh, the, the Mickey yes, Rourke movie? He was, he was the first one. Right. Uh, Ernest the Cat Miller got the right. role. Wow. I but Evan I Ginsberg first approached Johnny Rods. You know, um, Evan, of course, was the, uh, I believe, the executive producer, right, of the movie The Wrestler. Mm -hmm. And um, Johnny said, 
I've been doing this for 50 years. I don't do no screen tests. <laughs> wow. Wow. Johnny Rods but didn't want to have producing. to audition. That's wild. I don't do no screen tests, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, so uh, <laughs> he, uh, I mean, just extraordinary boy. I, I just imagine what that could have been if he was in, I mean, not that, I mean, I really enjoyed it for, for what it was. I really enjoyed it. That was a great movie and, you know, yeah. Mickey work was fabulous, but just to imagine, imagine Johnny Rods in it. Whoa, we're taking it up to a different level. Um, but, um, you know, you're, you're absolutely right with, with, with what you're saying. Um, he's just, to, everything is just done differently today. Everything is overproduced. I mean, that's the reason why everything is so contrived. It comes off as, you know, um, you know, wrestling is a, you know, there must be uh, a portion of wrestling that's improv for spontaneity's sake. How are you supposed to achieve spontaneity? You know, if everything is just overproduced and scripted, I mean, and, and, and the art of wrestling is to read that crowd to know what they want to see next to, I mean, today there's no heat without heat. I mean, God, the, the basis of psychology is out the window of modern wrestling. Psychology is out the window. Everything today is about a high spot. So the fans can go, this is awesome. And, you know, <laughs> right. and they'll see, you know, well, eight other flips during the night or some other bullshit, but there's no heat. There's absolutely no heat. Who's hated. Nobody's hated. No, if you don't have heels, you can't have baby faces. And if if anybody so, does get any real heat, they they will actually get in trouble for it, and they'll have to kind of backtrack and apologize and walk it back. It's like I, I say this a lot, but we live in this weird time where the heel, the heel will get in trouble. The person, if he actually legitimately makes people angry, uh, yes, and it's it's just ridiculous. There are, I mean. You know, I've run a uh, a few wrestling shows in the past few years dealing with this new um, uh, group of talent out there. And heels, a lot of them are scared to get heat. Right. And they, and they don't actually understand. You, you don't come, you don't have to come to the, okay, people, you're at a spot show. You have never wrestled there before. You're a heel. Okay. What these kids will do, they'll come to the curtain and they'll start yelling at the people. Well, why are you doing that for? Why do they dislike you? You haven't given them a reason. They don't know who you are. You're not established. They've never seen you before. So why why do you dislike the fans? <laughs> Give them a reason. Right. You know, so it's, it's, it's very, a, very mechanical. And, and, well, everything's very mechanical. It's, it's, yeah. Again, you know, um, um, I did some work with Dave Marquez and Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And, um, I was brought on as, a, as an advisor, um, as a producer, I produced uh, one of his TVs. Um, and my saying that I told everybody, you know, I told the locker room, I said, strive not to be contrived. I mean, you know, and, 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 and everything that you do, don't be, don't, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Wrestling is going to change a lot now that Triple H is overseeing things. And you've seen a lot of changes. And I think we will come back to the way wrestling's supposed to be. Well, I really firmly it. believe that, at uh, least with the main product. 
he was a, you know, he grew up as a fan, but he's, but he also has a lot of savvy. You know, he's not like you either get people that don't get or understand wrestling or you get people that were fans and, but they don't, but that doesn't mean that they know how to, how to book wrestling or promote it. Whereas he kind of has the best of both worlds. And I'm not saying what he's doing is perfect, but he seems to understand the psychology. He also seems to understand what a fan wants to see or what rather what the crowd wants to, to see. But I think too, the the crowd, unfortunately, the fan bases, they get trained and they get educated to expect certain things and 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 they're trained to respond to a certain kind of product. And and now it's like what you know, I'm I'm not saying I don't want wrestling to be entertaining. It, it should it should always be entertaining, but there but now it seems like the the only goal, no matter what you do to get there, is strictly to just be entertaining no matter how you get there. So you don't have to, the psychology isn't as important anymore. It's just our people. Well, that laugh. sounds like an AEW. That sounds like AEW's philosophy if they had one. Well, they just, just want, they just want to get responses and they don't care how they get them. Like I mentioned this recently online when I was having a, a conversation with somebody, how I'll never forget, like you talk about the, this is awesome, right? That's kind of the goal now. And, and the wrestlers themselves will, that's their goal is to try to get people to chant that. And I remember seeing a show where they had Chris Jericho, who had, this is WWE, he had been away for a, a, a while. And he came back to TV. It was the first time he'd been there in a couple of years. And the crowd, he's a baby face at the time. The crowd is chanting, this is awesome, because they're happy to see him, right? So immediately after that, immediately after that big pop and he's back, now all of a sudden he's confronted by the Wyatt family, who are, at the time, they were like the top heel faction. And they confront Jericho and they lay him out. They beat him down. It's this shocking angle, right? The returning baby face now gets destroyed immediately. And what does the crowd do? They start to again chant, this is awesome, which makes no sense at all. <laughs> but it doesn't matter to anybody because, well, they're just having a good time. And that's really all that matters is that people have a good time. Which, And then you sound like a grump if you don't go along with that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, look, the one thing that AEW lacks is continuity. <laughs> There's true. no continuity to the show. That's true. <laughs> I I mean, you know, uh, a porno has more continuity than <laughs> AEW. Um, so, but WWE, I really think, is going to, uh, I believe you're going to see the spectacle as is meant to be seen. Um, I think Triple H loves the business. I think he understands what the people want. He understands what will get over. He understands what will work. You can't make all the changes at once. This needs to be over uh, at least a few few years, actually. Yes. If you want to kind of if you want to bring it back, and things are there are guys with heat. There are guys in WWE that have heat. So you know that cannot be denied. I also think it's easier to That's get the first step. It's easier to get heat when your audience isn't totally made up of internet smart marks, which that's what the AEW audience is. So they're much more self-aware. So like it's you're not going to get that natural reaction. I, I feel like it's easier with a WWE crowd because it's more of like it's families, it's kids. It, it's a lot of people that are not living on Twitter all the time. Like it's a much more 
kind of uh you know these are it's like going to see you know the circus or something like the, these are just people that are that are out to be entertained by wrestling they're not reading every little thing on the internet as much uh, that's just my impression but that is that formula paying off for them i mean ratings no. aren't uh aren't doing well no it's not. I mean, the, the AEW, the problem now, because, I mean, I cover this on a weekly basis, r- writing about the wrestling news, I'm covering the ratings and I'm covering the attendance figures, and it's not good. It, it, it's just not good, and it's not that I don't want them to succeed because I like the idea of there being an alternative and there being some healthy competition, but their numbers are are just dwindling, and it feels like they're shrinking down now to that core fan base that would just watch a test pattern if they put it on, you know, that's, that's what's going to be left. Right. Right. Well, one thing that to me is uh, plagued wrestling, actually a few things. First is the rosters are way too large, way too large. (laughs) I mean, back in the day, you know why? I mean, Ric Flair is Ric Flair. And of course there's a reason why, He's over, but you put him on TV every week, not only because he's going to get your ratings, but because he gets them over more. You know, I mean, if you watch that, oh, great example. If you were just talking about Peacock and showing those championship wrestling episodes from WWF, you'll see Pat Patterson wrestle three weeks in a row or, or Hogan. I, I mean, like, so they, they knew that the more exposure that they give somebody, I mean, it's more advantageous for their push. Okay, concentrating on certain guys, concentrating on getting them over. There's way too many wrestlers. If you cut the if you cut the roster in half in WWE, I mean, including the you know, NXT and everything, and just cut it in half, would anybody really notice? <laughs> there, there's guys that I don't even think people realize that they work there. Mm-hmm. They just come out and it's like, so who, you know, what is this? So guy? what's the yeah. so what's the point? So what's the point? You know, just concentrate. Establish your stars, establish who you want to make stars and uh, and go from there. You know, you know, I think I, I, to me, that is your ultra basic approach to booking, period. Establish who your stars are going to be and then um, go from there. I mean, something else that has killed the business is this 50 50 booking bullshit True. that, you know, everybody's got to come out the same that my I. I mean, to me, it, that's, it's against all psychology because there's going to be somebody that's going to be dominant in every type of physical contest. So <laughs> why, why, why 50-50 booking? Why is that necessary? Why is it necessary to give both guys a participation award? Why? And, you know, I've never understood that. I think that's been a great detriment to the business as well. Um, but I, I see Triple H changing a lot of things. And another guy that's there um, that is a really, really smart guy is Adam Pierce. Yes. And, um, you know, Pierce has uh, input on what's going on. And I know firsthand he knows the business, boy. He knows the business. And, well, you know, I'm proud to, proud to say that back in the day he was one of, one of my kids, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, Adam Pierce. Um, you know, he's a figurehead on TV and all, but, uh, you know, Pierce is, um, he's, he's really entrenched behind the scenes. You know, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, when we, and this is going back to the whole, 
a lot of what you see in the ring now, particularly on the indie scene. Um, last September, the Cauliflower Alley Week, they had that show that they did. I forget the name of the place, but it's a it's it's basically the a nerd. Rest- yes, yes, it's a wrestling. Oh boy. It's <laughs> you know where I'm going, right? It's a wrestling theme oh, bar in Las Vegas, and they put on you know in celebration of CAC or whatever they put on an indie show. Oh yeah, and I got you know I got invited by some friends, and I, I was trying to be a really good sport and not be a total grump and a total you know poo pooing indie wrestling. I went and I, I had my wife with me, who comes along grudgingly on on these CAC trips with me, and we went over there. And, you know, it was what you would expect uh, an indie show in 2022 in the back of a bar in Las Vegas <laughs> to be. And and the reason I mention it is that you were there, which, first of all, I was shocked. I saw you there, but and you had a you had a Bruno San Martino T-shirt on and I came over to you <laughs> behind you. You didn't even know I was there. And I just said, what do you think Bruno would make of this show? And you just turned around and you went, oh, come on. <laughs> okay, so they had a, um, <laughs> I don't know if you've talked about this yet, but that's a no. nerd. Yeah. Much like, uh, okay, so you're familiar with the bucking bronco. They have the, the bucking cock. Yes, they do. There. Yes, they do. Yes. You didn't bring it up previously, obviously. No, it, it didn't come up, Any- so to speak. No. Well, it's coming up now. So these guys had their match and they ran each other into the the bucking cock that's there. We we and didn't even get that far, were, by the way. We we left. We you left didn't? oh you didn't stick no, around. I heard about it, but we left. Oh, this was the main event, Brian. Yeah, what are you doing? No. Three matches in. Oh, you should have stuck we around. Done. I could, we couldn't deal with it. So anymore. they were doing spots. They were, they were like, um, like running each other into it and, uh, so on. So when the match was over, I have this, I was just, I couldn't contain myself. I was just laughing. And so afterwards I say to one of the kids that was in the match, actually he's a great kid named Mondo rocks from Vegas. And I said, Hey, let me give you a little, little advice. And he goes, yes, sir. You know, he's very humble, you know? And I said, you know, in all seriousness, I told him, I said, you know, you really could have used that cock more. There were a lot of things you could have done off that cock. I mean, I don't know if you guys thought about it, but what about like a clothesline off the cock? That would have been good. You know, you could have done some spots off of it. Did you think about standing on top of the cock and coming off on the cock? And he was, sir, thank you very much. Thank wow. you so much. I really appreciate it. Did you like the match otherwise? Oh, I said it was very good. It was excellent. It was a great match. But I think you could have used the cock more. And and just just so people and that's know. where wrestling that's where wrestling has come. Right. That's where we are now. I think that I think that Vern Gagne and Nick Bachwinkle had a match like that once where they were jumping off a giant cock, didn't they? Maybe not. Is this the most know. time the the word cock has been I, said on your podcast? I was just about to say that to you, actually. I think we've reached a new record. And just Good. so people just so people understand that are listening to this that weren't there there. I, you mentioned it like the Bucking <laughs> Bronco. It was a giant prop penis. And it's it's like what you would think of like a Bronco. I can't believe I'm describing this. L- like the kind of a Bronco ride that you ride on in a bar, except it was that. And I'm assuming that's there all the time. It wasn't just there for the show, but but they used it. 
See, the minute I walked in and I saw that, I think it might have even been covered. We said, we just said, this is going to come into play at some point. And I don't know if I want to be here when that happens. I just don't know. And uh, yeah, you know, they do a lot of shows there. They they do a lot of shows there at the Nerd. And I heard that they saved the cock spot for Cauliflower Alley weekend. Of course, that makes sense. I think Luthez would have really approved of that during his tenure as the president of the CAC. I think he would have really loved being there. Oh, he would have loved it. Yeah, I think he would have loved it. Oh, you want to talk about Luthez? Sure, why not? We have a couple more minutes. I don't want to keep you forever, you know, but uh, we do. We can talk. Oh, that's sure. all right. I got a good one for you. Nice. Lay it on me. Does it have to do with? Yeah, cops? here we go. So, so I don't know if you're aware, but Luthez and May Young uh, and and Lillian Mula, they had some friendly heat. Okay? okay. Friendly heat. Friendly heat. Not, you know, nothing hard. Just friendly heat. Because, you know, Lou used to say that nobody could ever get behind him. Okay? And that was his thing. That was his saying. Well, <laughs> they're at a reunion. May Young, Mula, Fez. May goes to shake Lou's hand. Of course, they've known each other for, you know, eons and she throws up his hand and goes behind him and and tight waists him and said whispered in his ear i thought you said nobody could get behind you lou <laughs> and boy did he get hot really okay oh yeah 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 so this is a, so that's a segue into this other story so it's january of 2001 and I'm promoting Mid-American Wrestling in Milwaukee. And I've known May and Mula for years. I used to go to their conventions uh, in Vegas. I mean, I consider both of them friends. And uh, May was hot on TV. She just did the angle with Jarrett. It was hot. She was hot. So right. I'm going to bring her in, you know, see if my friend will come in. You know, boy, she came in for just a great price and just, you know, it was wonderful having her and stuff. But anyway, to set up this match, I was thinking to myself. I said, um, when did you start wrestling? And she said, 1942. 1942, 43. You know, Lillian, when did I start wrestling? So I thought to myself, I said, hmm, who's to say you didn't start in 1939? That would be, why would I say that for? I said, well, <laughs> if. You started in 1939, you break Fez's record. Oh, God. Why would you, you look on the WWE website? Since 1939. Oh, no. Jim Ross had it on his WCW hotline. Wow. <laughs> it's and one of the greatest swerves and proud to say that I was. <laughs> and this, is, this is your doing. It. My goodness. You know, I, this is my swerve to the business. Yeah. I, I wondered so, May, about that. I really did wonder about that. Cause I remember, I remember, you know, cause I've done research and I remember looking at that and going like, could that really be true? I don't know if that's true. And now, now you've settled it for me. Wow. That's really, so what was it like seven decades because of that? Eight decades, no, eight, eight decades. decades because she started in 39 and she wrestled for me in January of 2001. Okay. Right. That's so eight, eight decades. Oh man, but even well, even seven just, isn't shabby. But it's the same. You know, it's tied with this. Just to stick it to Lou. 
Oh man. <laughs> and for it to be a lady wrestler on top of it, I'm sure. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Incredible. I love Lillian and May uh and May. And uh I'll defend the fabulous Lords in my dying day, you know, with all the controversy, which I don't know if you want to get into, but you know, all of it is just ridiculousness. Everything Mula was aware of all the accusations from 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 day one. I mean, it was Buddy Lee. Buddy Lee, her husband, was a terrible human being who not only raped Mula. I mean, not only raped other girls, but raped Mula. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's the one that put Sweet Georgia Brown in the trunk of the car. Although in the Deep South, it was common to do that. If you had a person of color in your car, you know, you you, you had to put him in the trunk. You know, she was one of those people that I don't think, you, you know, some of those dark side of the ring episodes, they really, I mean, I, I thought it was a fascinating show, but, you know, there's a lot that came out on that show that I think was making people really uncomfortable. And I don't know. That's why I don't even know if they're going to bring it back because it's just, uh, I don't know. It, it it sometimes deserved and and as you say with moolah maybe sometimes not deserved it wound up harming you know the reputation of of some people whether you know deservedly or or not well i find it highly entertaining it is no 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 question it's very yeah. entertaining but it's one of those things like i watch it with my poor wife once again and i'll sit there and it's like i'm the director's commentary like i'm sitting there like correcting things or like explaining th some things further and the reaction after watching all those episodes you know she'll she'll turn to me and she'll just go why do you like this stuff what <laughs> this is the seediest most awful business i could ever imagine why why do you follow this why do you work in it i, I don't know and i said well you know when you gather it all together in one place like that i'll admit <laughs> It doesn't look very good. Right. It doesn't look too good, right? No. When you lump it all together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you when know, you dissect it, it's it's just intriguing and interesting. You can say the same thing about <laughs> show business or, or you know, Hollywood. I mean, especially in the earlier years. I mean, there's a reason they they called it Babylon. I mean, it it was uh I, I think we would put to shame anything that goes on today if you look at the the history of Hollywood, like in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. I mean, and that's where wrestling comes from. You know, this kind of guarded closed world where you're not as closely watched. And so you can get away with unspeakable things. Well, when we speak about Mula, there really are no, you know, unspoken things about her really. I mean, everything's an open book. So, you know, she was very shrewd and yeah, you know, um, um, some some of her girls felt shorted, maybe not uh, paid as much as they thought they deserved. But what people forget is that Lillian trained them. Lillian gave them housing. Yeah, they had to pay for where they live now. Yeah, they had to be responsible, you know. But Mula should be remembered, at least I remember her, as somebody that empowered women. Many of these women that came to her to be wrestlers, a lot of them were runaways. A lot of them were homeless. You know, um, she empowered them. She turned them into ladies. Uh, and that's that's the truth, you know. Um, so I will defend her um, forever. 
because um, I know better. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was she shrewd? Was she, uh, did she have some shady business practices and so on? Yeah. Well, she, she'd admit that. Um, I remember asking her once, see, Penny Banner was her adversary. Um, and uh, <laughs> Penny did not get along. In fact, Penny is the one that, that spread the story about Sweet Georgia Brown. Years ago, when Mula was uh, on TV with May, she was starting to put that stuff out. Anyway, I asked, I asked May Young about Penny Banner. I said, uh, Penny Banner claims that she used to date Elvis. <laughs> May says, she's just a whore. <laughs> and Mula said, she's too stupid to be a whore. She gave it away for free. That sounds now, like them. If you don't know, Penny Banner would brag, brag to people that she dated Elvis. Well, Mula dated Hank Williams Sr. Yeah. He proposed to her, but you never heard Mula bragging about that. So there you go. Yeah, and I I think there there's people like you said, you know, there were there may have been people over the years who had uh reasons to not like her or who had access to grind and things. Like I know, for example, um on the episode of Dark Side that was the Mula episode, one of the most critical people on there was Princess Victoria who had, you know, took sure. issue with Mula over various different things. But the interesting thing to me, which shows you how complicated, you know, these issues are complicated and you can't just boil it down to a 45 minute TV episode. You know, I spoke to Princess Victoria not long after that at a convention. I think it I know her been, too. I know yeah, her. But I think it might have been CAC. And she said to me, because this was at the time when, do you remember when they took Moolah's name? They were going to do a, a ladies battle royal at WrestleMania. And it was going to be, yeah, of course, or, yeah. or, or, and, and it was going to be the, the Moolah Battle Royal, and they changed it to May. Young. Yeah, that's what spurred all this, right. what spurred They're, all this controversy. Yeah. And, and, and Princess Victoria said to me how ridiculous and disgraceful it was that they did that. And this was the person who was running her down on television. Even she said, Look, I know I had my issues with her, and there were reasons for that, but. You know, she did a lot for women's wrestling. She did a lot for the business and she doesn't deserve to be to have her legacy buried that way. You know, and and this was somebody who had a lot of reasons to not like her, who was saying that to me. The fabulous Mula prostituted no one to say that she prostituted the women would be to call Lillian a criminal. And I find that highly insulting. I mean, that's uh, it's libel, as far as I'm concerned. That's ridiculous. No, no, not at all. She was a well-liked person in the business, Lillian. She was a loved person in the business, actually. She did a lot for women's wrestling. And, um, you know, her name being... Actually, you know, I, I've said it before that I think Lillian is looking down and she's just smiling and laughing like, <laughs> like she used to laugh. <laughs> uh, now, it's okay, hon. <laughs> and now she I just loves the heat. I didn't know her nearly she as well it. as you. I, I I have one brief moolah story which I could tell before we wrap up. It's nothing like. I mean, I I got to know her a little bit when I worked at WWE. It was the tail end of when she and May Young were being on, put on TV, you know, together in the Attitude Era and. There was, I think this was about 2001, where Moolah had had some kind of a, 
a heart scare. I don't know if you remember this. She had, I think, like bypass oh, yes. surgery, right? And so yes. she was recovered and she was in Houston for WrestleMania in the Astrodome. And they had her there. And this was the year they had all the legends there because they were doing the gimmick battle royal. So when you were backstage at the Astrodome, you would see all these luminaries. Bobby Heenan's there. Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik are there. And, you know, Bo- uh, uh, right. mean, mean Gene Okerlund is there. And so I witnessed this with my own two eyes. So you have you have to imagine the voices of these people, too. So, so Moolah and May are coming one way, and Mean Gene is walking by, and he walks over to Moolah. In his mean gene voice, you know, he just goes, well, Moolah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're doing well. And I had heard that you were going through some tough times and I'm glad to see that you've recovered and I was really pulling for you. You know, he's really trying to to show some empathy. And she just goes, Gene, I don't need your goddamn pity. Why don't you shut up and leave me alone? And and he just <laughs> he was all flustered. He he didn't know what to say, and he just awkwardly walked away. You know, and it was this moment that only I witnessed. She was a tough old bird. Yes, I remember calling her once, and she says to me, "She said, Carmine, I don't know if you know, but I broke my back." So what? You broke your back? So you know, she said, "Yeah, today I went to the doctor, and they they injected some glue into my back." I'm like, holy shit, you're kidding me. But, you know, I would think she'd be laid up in bed or something. Like, she'd be, like she'd be in some great pain. <laughs> um, yeah. She, she, she fractured her vertebrae in her back. And uh, I guess the, the procedure was to inject it with some sort of glue to hold it together. Here she is on the phone with me. Amazing. Um, oh, she was tough. Boy, she was tough. She was something else. I had the privilege of, of being, when I worked there, um, she did her autobiography w- there with Simon & Schuster when WWE had their deal with Simon & Schuster. And I got to copy edit and proofread her book. And so that I, I was lucky enough to get a personally autographed copy of the book directly from her thanking me for that. So I have that little kind of piece of uh, memorabilia on my trophy mantle which i'm proud of but um these are the unique experiences you get when you work even on the outskirts of the pro wrestling business let me give you one more moolah story that's yeah, hilarious uh, to me it's just so hilarious so joyce grable and lillian are in las vegas so they go to see elvis and she tells me the story she said Joyce and I, we went, we we went to go see Elvis and we got us a bottle of champagne and we sat there. You know what, Carmine? Elvis was the shit. (laughs) Elvis was the shit. So what we did is that we picked up that, that bucket of champagne and we walked out and we gave Elvis the feather. And I'm like, I remember her telling me this, like, and I didn't want to ask her, but you know, it's, I guess a, a Southern term, so to speak, that she, she gave her the, gave him the feather and they left. They walked out of an Elvis concert. Wow. And then she was said, the you know who we went to go see after that? We went to go see Frankie Lane. 
<laughs> he loved Frankie Lane. Of course. <laughs> but anyway, she gave Elvis the feather. That's amazing. She was a Southern girl <laughs> to the end. Elvis was the shit. I wonder if he was Elvis the drizzling was the shit. shit. That's amazing. <laughs> That's... <laughs> Oh boy! I, I'm imagining that this has was been a lot of fun, Brian. It has. I can't. I can't believe all the ground we've covered. Giant cocks, Elvis being the shits. Just you know, uh, we we've run the gamut. We've run the gamut on this episode. Well, as, I, I, as I, I appreciate knew- if you entitle if you entitle this episode "Interview with Carmine the Spirito," uh, more cocks than ever. <laughs> that would be good. I if think you could do that. It'll yeah. get you a lot of clicks. I'm sure. Well, that's that's what this is all about, right? We're trying to get the click. So thank you for helping me do that this week, Carmine. This was uh, a unique and rare pleasure. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if you want to ever have me on again, this is just a little teaser for the listeners out there. Uh, I'll tell you about Dynamite Kid pissing underneath the table. Okay. Well, well listen, we have to save. I'll just leave it at things. that. Right. We have to save some things for next time, but it's very gratifying to me that it's <laughs> it's still related to bodily functions and genitalia. So that will that will that's continue. what people want to hear. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks. My colorful conversation with Carmine Despirito. And Carmine, thank you once again for coming on the show. And really upping the vulgarity quotient this week on Shut Up and Wrestle. We really needed that, so I appreciate it. But in all seriousness, I do appreciate Carmine and all my guests coming on and sharing their great stories and memories. So thank you. And next week for Shut Up and Wrestle, we're going to have a very unique guest. We're going to get to talk about stuff we don't normally get to talk about here. My guest is going to be one of the most celebrated and important wrestling historians of all time, Mike Chapman. And for those of you who know Mike, he is one of the world's leading experts on some of the earliest eras of the pro wrestling business. People like Frank Gotch and George Hackenschmidt, Joe Stecker, Strangler Lewis, Earl Caddick. And that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about next week. So if that is your bag, then please do take a listen to Shut Up and Wrestle. It's going to be a good one next week. And more great guests coming after that if you stick with this show because I have a bunch of great interviews banked that I can't wait to share with you. Midwest independent wrestler Attila Khan is on the way, as well as Northeast veteran referee Dave Dwinell, another veteran referee and promoter of the Midwest Michigan area, A.T. Huck, will be a guest coming up. I will also have the widow of Bruiser Brody, Barbara Goodish, as well as another former WWE corporate creative person with some great stories, Tom Fleming, that and many more in the weeks to come on Shut Up and Wrestle. Where can you find our show? Well, there's a website, suawpod.com. There is also uh, all the usual places that you find great podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you go, you will find it. So please do that. And while you're at it, please join the Facebook group for the podcast, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. Lots of great content, lots of funny stuff. With the Brian last interview, you know, I've been posting 
videos and things that relate to some of the funny things we talked about on that show. That's the kind of stuff you'll find there. So please do join the Facebook group if you have an opportunity. My book, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original Sheik, is available in print and digital and audio format on Amazon.com and at other fine booksellers, both online and in the real world. And I want to mention, too, about the Michigan Library Award that I mentioned at the beginning, Library of Michigan Award. I also want to thank Dave Drayson, a.k.a. Dave Brzezinski, because he was the one who nominated the book. He was the one who brought it to the attention of the Library of Michigan. So thank you, Dave, for making that possible. Also, I want to thank all the listeners of the Wrestling News, Arcadian Vanguard's daily morning newscast on all of the important things happening in the world, in the business of professional wrestling. And if you aren't a listener, please consider becoming one at thewrestlingnews.com. The magazines that I write for, I mentioned at the top of the show, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, which you can get at pwi-online.com. There is also the UK-based wrestling magazine, Inside the Ropes, which you can find at insidetheropesmagazine.com. In addition to Shut Up and Wrestle, there's also the PWI podcast, which I am a co-host for with the great Al Castle, senior writer of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Please check that out wherever you get your fine podcasts. If you happen to be looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. You can also find my writer page on Facebook at Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author web page on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been Brian R. Solomon asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that ours is not to wonder why, ours is but to do and die. So long, wrestling fans. 